welcome to this podcast from Adelaide Place Baptist Church. We are a community of disciples, apprentices of Jesus, who live and work in the city of Glasgow, and it's our vision to join God in the renewal of all things. Our discipleship to Jesus is for all of our lives, so as well as listening to this podcast, we'd love for you to join us on a Sunday morning or get involved in one of our missional communities, which are across the city throughout the week. Our prayer is that you encounter Jesus in some way through this podcast. More information can be found at apbc.net. Hello, good to be with you today. Um, We were away last week celebrating my grandpa's 90th birthday, which is pretty good going, I think. Um, But great to be joined uh, by you online as well, and welcome to you. Um, My name's David, in case I've not met you yet, I'm part of the staff team at Adelaide Place. And um, we are through Lent, if you missed last week like me, we're through Lent going to think about solitude and prayer. Solitude and prayer. Stephen introduced us to last week, or reminded us of perhaps, solitude is that practice of being alone with and present to God, and God alone. An interruption that comes into your week, your day, wherever you find yourself. And um, the question is, are we willing to face into that space? Are we willing to face into that space that can be difficult, challenging, bring up things we'd rather keep pushed down, as well as joy and encouragement? Are we willing to go into that space to be alone with and present to God and God alone in order that we might find rest in him? We're going to consider different prayers through these weeks of Lent leading up to Easter and different ways we can pray, different types of prayer, and all of this within the context, the container of that practice of solitude. Now, of course, praying together is really, really important, and it's going to be brilliant to be back in our building and kind of reestablish our our monthly rhythm of prayer and push into that in new ways and see where God leads us and and how we might seek him in, in that new season of the life of our church. But for these few weeks of Lent, we're considering solitude, what prayer might look like in that space of being alone with and present to God and God alone. Looking to the example of Jesus, who often withdrew from the crowds to be alone with his father solitude and prayer. We've just heard read a few moments ago this psalm, a psalm of David, Psalm 51, a prayer after he had been confronted by the prophet Nathan. Those of you who have your paper Bibles with you might have noticed that little short introduction at the top telling us that, that this is a psalm of David when the prophet Nathan came to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Now, Nathan had come to David because of his adultery, because of his sin, which he had, to be honest, failed to recognize or at least failed to admit. In fact, more than that, as as much as he'd done forcing Bathsheba to sleep with him and then um, uh, committing adultery with her, he'd also arranged the killing of her husband, as many of you will be familiar with um, that particular incident. And Nathan the prophet tells David a parable, 2 Samuel 12. We read of this story that that he tells to David um, where there's a rich man who's got lots of sheep and a poor man who's only got one sheep, his prized possession, this lamb. And this rich man comes to uh, the poor man and takes it for a passing traveler to eat. He doesn't use any of his own sheep. That would be too much of an ask for him. So he takes this poor man's sheep, his only sheep, and gives it to this traveler. 
And so we read when Nathan comes to David, David responds with what he thinks is the right answer. He's like, I know this one, I've got it. He says, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. And Nathan turns to him and says, you are this man. David's reminded by Nathan of all that God has done for him, provided for him, blessed him with. And David in that moment recognizes that he sinned against the Lord. He has sinned against the Lord. And it's in this context that we come to this prayer of David, this prayer of confession, this prayer of bringing the full extent of his wrongdoing before God. I wonder what your experience of confession has been. Perhaps it's as simple as when you were a child confessing or not the chocolate that you weren't meant to eat, whether it's avoiding the conversation to say that you just missed a deadline of an essay of something at work. And often our confession or lack of can be affected by who it is we're confessing to or what the thing is we're confessing for. I've found this practice of confession before God to be incredibly challenging, personally. Maybe that's my personality. But also, at the same time, it's been somewhat surprisingly liberating, freeing, a practice which has always brought me to a deeper place of knowing myself and knowing God. Now, David was moved here to this point of praying this prayer, not on his own, through the conviction and the intervention of God via this prophet, Nathan. He's moved from a place of trying his hardest to cover his tracks, to maybe put the blame elsewhere or at least avoid blame himself. He's moved from there to a place of recognizing, how could I treat God like this? To acknowledging the extent of his wrongdoing. And it's there that this prayer that we've just read in Psalm 51 begins, looking to God. David begins by looking to God who is merciful, the God whose love is steadfast. And just hold on to that thought. We'll come back to it later on. But let's notice at this point that it's to the one who David knows to be faithfully loving that he comes. And he comes confident in the mercy of God. As we hold that, this approach to confessing to the one who's merciful and whose love is steadfast, it's worth noting that this is a private confession, isn't it? It's between David and God. And there's a place for a public or corporate confession where we um, confess wrongdoing to, to others within the church, people that we trust and know have our best intentions at heart, who aren't going to judge us. That's a helpful practice, but in the context of solitude and of prayer and of this psalm, we're going to think today a little bit about private confession. What does it mean to come before God and confess our wrongdoing? And what might we find about God there? So let me draw our attention towards three words that come through this psalm, this prayer of confession. Firstly, David's confession is honest. He's upfront about what he's done. He names the specific wrongdoing. It's not a prayer of, sorry God, I might have done something a bit wrong today. Maybe I was a bit unkind probably wasn't that bad, but sorry anyway. Not a kind of covering all his bases. David is specific and brutally honest about his own behavior, his own thoughts, about what he has done wrong. Of course, in David's case, a lot of people would have known what he'd done wrong. They'd have known the extent of his wrongdoing, but 
some cases, that might be true for us, but in some cases, it might be we need to confess with honesty the things that we think that no one else knows, the things that we do or don't do when no one else is watching, the things which God alone knows anyway. I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me, David says. So we come with specific honesty before God. Secondly, I think we see here in David's confession, humility. David knows that when he comes to the Lord, it's against him that he sinned. He recognizes that he is accountable ultimately to God alone. That it's God who is above all things, that his thoughts and ways are higher than his own. Of course, he has responsibility to his neighbor and he has really seriously and severely mistreated and wronged his neighbor. And at the same time, they are themselves made in the very image of God. David has sinned against God and he comes in humility, taking responsibility for what he's done, not trying to blame someone else. He shows genuine remorse and sorrow, regret for his actions. He's not trying to sugarcoat it or pretend he wasn't really at fault to perhaps save face or look good in front of his friends or his peers. Some of you will have watched France, unfortunately, beat Scotland last weekend. Um, and you'll know that there were two, if you watched that, two red cards within the first 15 or 20 minutes of the match. And one for Scotland and one for France, both for head contact, which is not good in rugby, um, usually red cards. But there was really interesting looking at rugby Twitter, maybe because I'm mainly on Scottish rugby Twitter, not French rugby Twitter, but there we go, that's for um, you to decide. Um, but the, the two interpretations of the two events were very different. Scottish one was... Um, a mistake, mistimed tackle, unfortunate, he showed remorse straight away. The French one was deliberate, intentional, headbutt on the, other, on the Scottish player um, and showed no remorse, throwing his hands in the air as he walked off the pitch. That's just my take on it. But genuine remorse takes, comes from a desire to change, doesn't it? If we're not really sorry for what we're doing, we don't care about doing it again. We're not bothered about the consequences, perhaps. We're not bothered about how we're going to act in the future. It comes from a, a plan, a hope to behave differently in the future. And we read here David recognizing that. He recognizes that God doesn't desire empty words or offerings. Saying the right thing doesn't have a place here. Instead, he says, a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. And when we come with that genuine, remorseful attitude, coming in humility, we come to the third word that I think we can draw here of sincerity. A prayer of confession might be something we pray sometimes to make ourselves feel a bit better, perhaps a bit of a box ticking exercise, but true confession is a place for change. David prays not simply that he'd be forgiven, but that he would be changed. He prays in verse six that I would be taught wisdom in my secret heart that God would create a clean heart in him and put a new right spirit within him and that God himself would renew, restore to him the joy of his salvation and renew and sustain him a willing spirit. In verse 12, David comes to confess because he desires to change. There's a sincerity about that desire and that reason for coming to confess. It's not about making himself feel better, but because he knows that confession is part of the journey to renewal. 
True confession isn't a superficial, superficial patch-up job. But true confession, sincere confession, is about a, re- a renovation of the heart, the very depth of our being. Because when we come to confess to the Lord, when we come, we, we can come knowing that change is possible, and we can come desiring that change, ultimately and only because of Jesus, his death and his resurrection. When we come in honesty, in humility and with sincerity, we find there is deep joy to be found, that there is true renewal because of Jesus. Many of you will be familiar with uh, the book Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster, and he wrote this about confession. Without the cross, the discipline of confession would only be psychologically therapeutic. But it is so much more. It involves an objective change in our relationship with God and a subjective change in us. It is a means of healing and transforming the inner spirit a means of healing and transforming the inner spirit. I don't know about you, but that sounds like something I need every single day. And because of what Jesus has accomplished on the cross, it's available, it's possible to you and to I. And it's exactly what's on offer, this healing, transformation, God working gently, powerfully, mercifully, renovating our hearts, making us more like Jesus. Often this is a sustained process, not an, as well as being an instantaneous act. Because there's some things, perhaps in your life right now, that just need to stop happening. Perhaps things which are harmful to yourself or to others. Behaviors or relationships which shouldn't be there. Patterns of behavior or lifestyles which don't honor God. And there's also a process. It's not a one prayer of genuine confession and go and sin no more. Yes, there's renewal in that space, but let's not kid ourselves. You and I get it wrong multiple times every day. And that's why I think I found the practice of examine, of confessing through examine really helpful, a practice of reviewing the day, of going through the day, asking God to bring light to to our emotions that we felt through the day, the events and experiences that have happened and confessing before him the things that we know are wrong, keeping short accounts with the Lord and asking for his help as we go into the next day that is to come. Even as we recognize our need to daily come before the Lord in confession, let's even more so not doubt the renewing, redeeming power of God at work in our lives. Let's not forget the incredible power of Jesus' death and resurrection. History-changing acts which broke the power of sin. The strongholds which can be allowed to take root in our lives. Because throughout the Bible, we read of God's desire and his readiness to forgive, to act with mercy. Because of Jesus, you and I can be forgiven. And when we come to him in honesty and humility and in sincerity, we can know his cleansing power. As we read in 1 John chapter 1, if we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we've not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. This is about a lifestyle leading to repentance, putting in the hard work. It's what's been described many times as a long obedience in the same direction. 
There was a man you may have come across before called Rodney Smith, um, who was born in 1860, just outside London, and he was uh, preached to many, many millions of people, um, and apparently he never preached the gospel to, to a crowd or to a group of people without uh, many people choosing to follow Jesus and to put their trust in him. And he was used powerfully by God, and, and so many people asked him throughout his life, what's, what's the secret? We all want to know the, the shortcut, don't we, to this seeming success of someone. And he said this, Go home, lock yourself in your room, kneel down in the middle of the floor and with a piece of chalk, draw a circle around yourself. There, on your knees, pray fervently and brokenly that God would revive everything within that chalk circle. Might we pray with sincerity, send revival, Lord, and start with me, confessing our wrongdoing humbly before the Lord taking responsibility for what we know isn't right and desiring change because confession always leads to repentance. True confession always leads to repentance. Through this psalm of private confession, we see a deep work, a pretty painful, true self-recognition of David knowing that he's sinned, that he's wronged people and he's sinned ultimately against God. And yet this isn't where David stays because he knows the heart of the one to whom he is confessing. David is sorrowful, but he doesn't wallow in his sin, allowing what he's done to control him or to eat him up. As one commentator writes, the depth of self-knowledge that David has here might have led to despair. Instead, it has enlarged David's praying. In verse 10, this word create, David uses, he's asking for nothing less than a miracle. It's a term for what God alone can do. He's not stating his plan before God, saying this is what I'm going to do step by step, but he's saying, God, you created me a heart. Here's what I've done in honesty and sincerity. Now you create a new heart in me because I know I can't do it on my own. But he also knows that God can do it. He doesn't stay in that place of recognizing his own sin. Because of the unfailing love of the Lord, because of the Lord's great mercy, David is drawn to worship. He's known the faithfulness and mercy of God throughout his life, and he says, bring back my joy, Lord. Bring back my joy in you. Renew my thinking. Help me be willing to live life in the power of the Holy Spirit, life your way. And so we come back then to where we began. For all of his failings, David knows he still belongs. David's responding to the God who is full of mercy and unfailing love. When David prays, have mercy, he recognizes that he has no claim to this favor he's asking for. The steadfast love that David speaks of is covenantal language. And we see throughout scripture that God always keeps his promises. It speaks this language of the love of God who is absolutely committed to loving those that he has created. A covenant which certainly I break every day, but God does not break his covenant, not ever, with his people. And so it's to, to that God that we're invited to confess our sins because he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There is great comfort in knowing who it is that we are confessing to, that he will act with mercy and with covenantal love. 
as with many of these things, many of these practices, there's a tension to embrace here. The tension of a deep, genuine desire to change, which leads to inviting and allowing God to create a pure, work, pure heart in us. And also recognizing it's his work and recognizing the reality of our nature. Knowing that we have agency in this thing called life. We don't just sit back and see what happens. A desire to change always leads, by God's grace, to an action towards change. This is a change of the heart, a new way of seeing, a paradigm shift. Perhaps a question to sit with, just you and God as you privately confess to him. We might ask the Holy Spirit to reveal what needs to be changed in my heart, in my action, in my life. What needs to be broken or to be reimagined or seen differently? There's freedom in confession as we come to God inviting and allowing him to work in our lives. We come to God just as we are and ask him again to release us and renew us. And as we confess to the one who already knows more about us than we know about ourselves, we come to realize that he meets us right there with loving kindness, with mercy. It's often difficult, this confession practice. It's often hard to do because it's not the most fun. But when we do, we find freedom, we find release and change of direction, and we find that true, true confession always leads to repentance. God always meets us with unfathomable oceans of grace. And we start and we end with mercy. We come to confess because of his covenantal love and his great mercy. And we get up from that place of confession in the light of his covenantal love and his great mercy. Because it's his work of renewal. It's his mercy. And it's his redeeming power at work within us. So let's spend a moment in prayer and quiet before we come around the table of the Lord. Loving, merciful Father, we come, each of us today, knowing that there's things we'd rather no one else knew about. Holy Spirit, would you grant us each a true conviction, leading to a true repentance. And remind us, Lord, that we come to the one who knows the depths of our hearts, and who still acts towards us in love and in mercy. There are no words that can express your loving kindness towards us. So we simply thank you. We say again that we love you and we ask you to lead us. And we believe, Lord, that we can be free to love and to serve you in joyful assurance in full knowledge that your grace will always be more than sufficient for our own feelings. May our lives be an act of worship to you, almighty, loving, merciful God.
Amen.